Read it. Well, again, it is nice to be back with you. We had a good visit to the East Coast, perhaps the shortest one that we've ever made uh, during the summer. But the rhythm of our lives have changed. Brendan is now a working teenager, and we wanted him to be able to maximize his time working uh, at Knott's for the summer. And we enjoyed and uh, really maximized each day with our family, but it's always great to be back. We, we had beautiful weather. It's very green on the East Coast these days, beautiful blue skies. The weather was actually cold in Pennsylvania, about 44 degrees each morning when Christine and I woke up to exercise. Virginia was a little warmer. The last day we were there in um, Washington, D.C., it was in the 90s, and then we got out of there, and then the storms came. The tornado warnings came through the other day for my parents, and so I don't, no tornadoes set down on the ground, but I'm glad we missed at least that kind of excitement. So it's good to be back, and we're excited. Um, I'm excited about the summer now, um, just in the long green season as we work our way through the scriptures. And tonight it was, or today it was tempting to think about, you know, the story of David and Goliath, and it brought back good memories for me when Brendan used to kill me on a regular basis as Goliath. And come over and put his foot on my chest and declare, with God's help, I have defeated Goliath. And so we never purchased the severed head that you can get at most Christian bookstores, but uh, just kidding, they don't actually sell those, though that would be kind of cool in its own way. And so, um, but what really drew my attention uh, this week was the passage from 2 Corinthians. Um, And that's in part because, I don't know if you follow Anglican News, But this week has been a big week in in the Anglican Communion and for the Anglican Church uh, in North America. Um, It was the GAFCON conference in Jerusalem, and this is the third one. The first one was 10 years ago, which also met in Jerusalem. Um, And GAFCON, the Global Anglican Futures Conference, is what it started. But now GAFCON is the umbrella organization for 75 80% of the Anglicans in the world that um, stick to biblical morality conservative theological principles. We believe in the apostles and Nicene Creed. And so those conservative Anglicans, representatives, many bishops, I think over 300 bishops and uh, many priests and laypersons gathered in Jerusalem this week and and issued a very powerful statement at the end of their time together that I put up this morning on our Facebook page. So if you haven't seen it, you can you can find it there. And it wasn't divisive. It's not a document that's meant to be divisive. And matter of fact, it's a document that states We're just trying to to walk the way that the Bible tells us to walk and that Anglicans have done so for, you know, 500 years. However, there are some who don't want to. And yes, it will look like to those people that we are over against them or even schismatic. But that that spirit of that document just really resonated with me as I was reading it. And I'd already been thinking about the Corinthians passage. and, And so Paul begins that passage again by saying, Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Right? So that that working together with him. Right? So in Jerusalem this week, a lot of conservative Anglicans got together and said, we want to work together in order to work with him, with God. Right? We want to get on board with what God is doing in the world, and we want to be a part of that. And that includes us. Matter of fact, our archbishop is now, is it the chairman, Jonathan, the chairman of of GAFCON? Um, And so he's going to be the head of GAFCON for the next five years at least. And, And so 
like that involves us. We are, we are in this together. And, and so it might not feel like here in La Mirada and this parish necessarily that those kinds of things touch us, but they in fact do. And again, this is all because we want to be Christians, first and foremost, Anglican Christians, secondarily to being Christians, who work together with God. So Paul is admonishing the Corinthians here, right? He's saying like, don't spurn the grace of God, right? Because God's grace is being perpetually offered to you. And your job is to constantly be receiving that grace, right? So that you can then work with God. Otherwise, God's offer of grace, if you spurn it, right, then there would be, it would be in vain. God's offer would be in vain. And so we need to, to think about that word for us, about how God constantly and continually offers us his grace through the sacraments, primarily, but also just through his creation, through the goodness of being alive and in communion with one another. Um, and so God offers us his grace, and our job is to receive that grace and then to work with him. And that's what was happening in Jerusalem this week, and, and so that means that's what we need to be about as well, and we need to be doing. And just a few weeks ago, our bishop challenged us with a similar kind of message to be doing with God the work that God wants us to do. And I know we, we I, we think that we are doing that all the time. I mean, I feel like I'm convinced I'm doing that all the time, or at least I'm trying to do that as, I, as best as I can. But it's good for us to hear that even in the midst of doing that, that it's an ongoing project that God has given to us, that he keeps offering us his grace. We keep responding to God's grace, working with him to accomplish what he wants to do in the world. And in two other places in this letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, there's a way that you can spurn this grace of God. There's a way you can say no to it. The first one is by refusing to purify ourselves. Chapter 7, verse 1 says, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement. So part of what it means to receive this grace is to receive it as someone who's purified, who's making themselves a clean vessel, a vessel ready to receive the grace of God. I am not a germaphobe. Like, I'm not a bona fide germaphobe, but I like clean things, right? And so, like, I'm the kind of person, like, if there's a glass on the counter, my guess is if there's been no one else in my house in the past couple days, that is probably someone in my family. I'm good with that. But if there's a glass on the counter like there was yesterday, and I think to myself, well, Jonathan and Abby were over Friday night, and I like Jonathan and Abby, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not, not that I don't want to drink after them, but I, I don't know. Are they healthy? Abby works around little kids, and you know, like, I don't know. Is this glass one of ours or one of theirs? Well, I took it, and I sat it in the sink. And then I went and got another glass, and so I, I thought about, like, wanting a, a pure vessel to put my water in to drink out of it so, so that I wouldn't get sick or something like that. And so, in a similar way, we're told by Paul, purify ourselves so that we can receive the grace as pure people, vessels ready to receive that grace. And if we're not pure, then we will spurn that grace. Secondly, in 11, chapter 11, verse 4, Paul says, he talks about that there's another Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. That is, if anyone comes in and preaches another Jesus and offers a different spirit or a different gospel, don't trust them. They're not, they're heretics. They're not true preachers of the word of God, right? So another way that we can um, spurn the grace of God is by allowing a disconnect between our faith and our conduct. 
right? That the, that the, the grace, the gospel we've received, the spirit that inhabits us, the Jesus that we follow, that, that we, don't, we don't respond to those things appropriately, that we, we follow a different gospel, we follow a different Jesus, we, we hear a different spirit, and, and that would put a disconnect between the faith and the, and the true person of Jesus Christ and the action that should follow from that faith. And so we need to be clean, we need to be purified people, and, and we do that through the general confession. We, we do that through the daily confession if you pray the office every day, and, and we do that by coming to God and confessing our sins so that God will show himself faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness so that we can be purified for him. And then we, we work hard, I trust, to, to follow the scriptures as they've been given, to follow the tradition that we've inherited both the bigger Christian tradition in the past 2,000 years, but the Anglican one as well, right? That when we confess the creeds, we do so with integrity, right? Not, not doubting, not having intellectual impediments, that we do our best to let the word of God dictate our behavior, realizing that perhaps we are still and certainly on the way to understanding the word of God correctly, but always trying to make sure that we're conducting ourselves in light of what we know to be the truth of God's word. And so as God offers us his grace, we don't want to spurn it, we want to receive it. We want to work together with God. And so we need to be doing that. And why do we need to be doing that? Well, because now, the text tells us at the end of verse 2, now is the favorable time, now is the day of salvation, right? Paul kind of always lived, he always lives in the now. Like if you read Paul's letters, it's always now. Nothing's ever going to be done later in Paul's kind of economy of time. Paul always thinks sometimes now is the time to be doing things, not to, not to delay, not to put things off, but to always be ready to do the work that God has given us, to put it right in front of us. And so he, he, that, that behold, now is a favorable time, behold, now is the day of salvation, follows a quotation from Isaiah 49 verse 8. And that quotation in Isaiah is given to the servant. It's in one of the servant chapters of Isaiah. And he, Yahweh tells the servant there in chapter 49, verse 8, that I'm going to vindicate you, and while I'm doing that, you need to be doing the work of restoration that I've given you to do. So this is after returning from the exile, you need to just keep doing the work of restoration and let me vindicate you. In other words, don't wait until you're vindicated to do this work of restoration that I've given you. Do it now. And so Paul picks up on that and he says, why should we not spurn the gospel? Because now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. And then beginning in verse 3, he says, put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. So as we work with God, as we do so now, our job is mostly, literally, to make sure we're not getting in the way or putting anything else in the way. Our job is to stay out of the way and let God do the work that he's doing in the life of his people. Again, that we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. So Paul is basically saying, I didn't come to put myself in the way. No, a matter of fact, the beatings, the imprisonments, the riots, the sleepless nights, the hunger, all these things that I have experienced, as well as the purity, the knowledge, the patience, the kindness, the Holy Spirit, the genuine love, the truthful speech, etc., etc. Paul goes through a, a long litany of things and says, look, like this demonstrates to you that we are working hard 
to be on your side, that we are working hard not to be an impediment, not to be an obstacle, but to work with you, to work with God in your life, and mostly to allow you, again, in the prayer that we pray every service, to do the work that God has given us to do. And so as we receive the grace of God as pure vessels with no disconnect between our faith and conduct, we are then able to do the work now that God has given us to do, both in the lives of other people and our own life, working with him to bring the gospel to the world. And so when the leaders of Gafcon gathered in Jerusalem, they acknowledged that what has happened historically of impediments have been put in the way of the gospel going forth. And not the gospel just in the preaching of the gospel, but in the full, uh, the full orbit of the gospel, right? That everything from salvation to glorification, including sanctification. So there's been things that have been put in the way to keep the Anglican communion from doing this job well. And, and so the Global Anglican Futures Conference has gotten together to say, we want to work with God. We don't want to put impediments in the way. And so our job as individuals as part of this communion is to work hard ourselves, not to be in the way, right? Ourselves or to place other obstacles. And so Paul concludes, and so we will too, by, by saying his heart is wide open. I love this phrase. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Paul rarely addresses his churches with this kind of affection, right? He'll address them, right, to the church at Ephesus. But here we have spoken to you, Corinthians. It reminds me of when I've traveled with students and I wanted to get 50 students' attention all at one time. All I had to do was yell Tori, which was no one's name on the trip, probably, and everyone turned around, right, because of the Tory Honors Institute. And so Paul says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and all the people there in Corinth, all the Christians in Corinth get to respond for Paul saying, our heart is wide open. We're not restricting you, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, then he says, I speak to you as children, widen your hearts also. So Paul's saying, look, I'm saying this to you because my heart is wide open to you. I have a great affection and love for you. And now it's your turn to respond in love and affection to this message by having your hearts wide open also. And so our challenge tonight is to hear that and say, are our hearts wide open to the work that God is doing, to the work that God has called us to do, both collectively, corporately, but also individually? And if we responded in a way that, that God would say, yes, our hearts are wide open, if Paul walked among us, would he, would he say, your hearts are wide open to this work that God has given us to do? So let us not spurn the gospel the grace that God gives us. Let us work hard to not be an impediment to the work that God is doing, but to work with it and to do that now, not to delay, not to put it off, and to have our hearts wide open to this work that God is doing in the world, to respond to literally our neighbors and, and those down the street and those people in the park that we meet and complete strangers that cross our paths, to respond to them with hearts wide open and affection and love for them. Why? Because we know that God is doing a work and we want to be a part of it. So let me encourage you this week to reflect on these things and perhaps to begin to do that by going and reading that statement from the GAFCON leadership and thinking about where you and where we are in that story. And then to remind ourselves that that bigger story plays itself out here in La Mirada, of which we're a part, in our own communities. 
And again, to have our hearts wide open in love to one another, to God, so that the work that he wants to do will become our work and so that we will work well with him. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please stand and let us confess our faith together in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father and the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ.